0: everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca.
1: And I'm Landon.
0: And we have a very special Christmas episode for you today. Landon, do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be talking about?
1: Virgins, my favorite subject.
0: <laughs> virgins! Nothing says Christmas more than virgins, but actually that's kind of true because we are going to be discussing the virgin birth. There's a lot more to that uh, than, uh, than most of us realize. It's a very interesting topic.
1: Yeah, I noticed you're wearing your virgin blue. Well,
0: you know, I'm trying to dress appropriately, trying to look maternal and virginal. And it was either that or maybe dressed like Madonna. But I didn't know if anybody, any of our viewers would know who that was.
1: Well, well, we're going to talk about the Madonna today. So that's perfect.
0: Perfect. We're going to cover everything. That's going to be great. So we actually have slides today because there is a lot of information. And this is really, really interesting. And Landon has put this together for us. So I say let's uh, let's. Let's take it away.
1: Roll the virgin. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here, and we'll get started. We've got kind of a slideshow to go with. Uh, so our topic today, uh, virgin birth, miracle or myth. I think uh, at Christmas time, we all think about the virgin birth as we do our our Christmas narrative scenes on the uh, night before Christmas. So I think that's a lot of people's family traditions. We put out our nativity scenes. Uh, and all of these things that we remember the Virgin Birth. So we thought today, with it being Christmas coming up, that we talk a little bit about the Virgin Birth, uh, the myths that surround it, and is this uh, did it really happen? Is it a miracle or is it a myth? So let's get started. Uh, when, when 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 we think about the uh, Virgin Birth. The thing we have to ask ourselves is, how do we know about a virgin birth, or why do we think that there was a virgin birth? And basically, the only evidence or the only place that tells us that there was a virgin birth is in uh, the Scriptures, specifically in the New Testament. And there's really only three places in the Bible that tell us about the virgin birth. Uh, I think the one that most people think of uh, as the foreshadowing of the birth of of the virgin birth is found in Isaiah seven fourteen, uh, which reads: "Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name uh, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God uh, God with us." Uh, and so, when we whenever we hear this scripture, I think a lot of people think about Jesus. They think about the uh, nativity. This is often read at Christmas time, uh, but the reality of the situation uh, is that this scripture really has nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> we think of it as the Christmas and and as the uh, lead to this virgin birth, but in reality, if we actually go to Isaiah seven fourteen and read it, uh, when we read it in context, we see that it's not at all talking about a future uh, virgin giving birth, but it's actually talking about uh, at the time, Jerusalem is under siege by two other kingdoms, and the king is wondering, oh, what's going to happen? And Isaiah comes forth and gives him a prophecy. And he basically says, don't worry about it, because uh, be- be- a virgin will give birth, and before the child knows how to t- t- tell right from wrong, those two kingdoms will cease to exist, and and Jerusalem will no longer be under uh, threat. And so obviously this could not refer to Jesus because uh, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. Uh, and so the scripture really has nothing to do with uh, with the birth and the virgin birth. Uh, although, so it's How, was it, how
0: was it appropriated then? Because it seems to me like Isaiah was just doing what a lot of prophets do, kind of being a yes man saying, you're fine, King, it's going to be fine. You're going to be great. Your kingdom will survive. But now it's appropriated. And everybody thinks that this refers to the coming of Christ.
1: Yeah, well, I think the way that that happened is um, is that it's referred to in the New Testament that way. It's probably Matthew who who kind of made that connection, uh, and that's why so many people connect it there. So the other two places that talk about a virgin birth are in Luke and Matthew. Now, when we go to the Gospels, uh, there's of the four Gospels, only two of them have a birth narrative. Uh, that's Luke and Matthew. And if we look, I have both of the scriptures here. And if we go to Matthew, uh, you'll see that uh, Matthew says, uh, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. So Matthew actually referred back to this and said, oh, this is what that that really meant he was he was prophesying that there would be a virgin, and that this really refers to that. When we look at the differences between Luke and Matthew, they actually have two different purposes in how they describe uh, the birth scenario. Matthew, everything Matthew does is uh, to show fulfillment of the prophecies. So if we if we go to Matthew uh, and read uh, the, the narrative from Matthew. Uh, I, I'm just going to read a couple verses out of Matthew. Um, you
0: actually have your scriptures right there I, with you. I have
1: My scriptures. I'm I'm a lazy learner. They're actually falling apart. Uh, oh because my! Well,
0: decades and decades. I of them heavy use. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but if you go if you go to Matthew, um, you know I I just read this scripture that it says, and you see right there where it says, "Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled." Matthew seems to have a list of all the things that. Are required for uh the the coming Messiah. And now he's going to tell us how each of those things was fulfilled. So if you go to chapter two, verse five, he says, and they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this it is written by the prophet. And so he's talking about where he would be born. And he says, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. So he's talking, okay he's going to be born in Bethlehem. This is good. this is a fulfillment of the prophet, uh, of the prophecy. And then if you ju- jump over to verse 15, he says, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called a son. Uh, and then he talks about the massacre of the innocents, so you know, where Herod killed all of the all of the children. And he says for that, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard and lamentations in the land. And then lastly, in verse 23, uh, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So it's almost as if he listed everything that had to happen, and then he says, This is how that was fulfilled. This is how that's fulfilled. That's This is how this was fulfilled. Luke, on the other hand, his purpose is to tell us that Jesus was the son of God. So in all of his narrative, he's trying to tell you uh, that God was the father of Jesus and Jesus was the son of God. So one's trying to tell you scripture was fulfilled. The other one's trying to tell you uh, that he's the son of God. And so that's kind of the difference in the narratives there. Uh, And then
0: Luke and Mark do not have a birth story.
1: No John and that. Mark don't. sorry, have.
0: sorry. John, John and, Mark. and Mark do not have a birth story in their narrative. That's so interesting. Exactly. I, I don't think a lot of people recognize that.
1: yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. but this is really the only the only places where the virgin birth is is mentioned in uh, in the Bible. And so this is really it, it's really a matter of faith. Do you believe that this happened because you read it in the scriptures? This is the only evidence we have of a virgin birth uh, because, uh, and generally for evidence, we want to look at primary sources. Uh, That's, you know, sources that were written at the time. And in this case, we don't have that. These are kind of secondary, they were written uh, probably 60 to 100 years after the birth. So none of these people were around who wrote these scriptures. Uh, who wrote these stories they were secondhand stories that they heard and then retold so that's something that we need to keep in mind now the Bible mentions it but we also have um the Book of Mormon uh in LDS scripture that talks about the virgin uh the virgin birth and it talks about it in two places for uh, one is first Nephi and the other is in Alma now these two scenarios is really um you know since since the Book of Mormon is pretty much considered a 19th century uh, production, we know that Joseph Smith knew the virgin story. He knew that Jesus was going to be born, and these scriptures are somewhat suspect by the very fact that First Nephi is talking in 600 BC, um, and he's sitting there telling us the exact city. He's telling us, uh, you know, that it's the Son of God, that there's going to be a virgin. Uh, all of these things are things that are ideas that really weren't even developed at that time, even in the old world. The Jews weren't looking for a virgin uh, birth of a, uh, of a Savior to come and save them. And so it's it's very suspect uh, that this was written. You know, it's it, it just doesn't seem to fit. Um, Alma was written in about 83 BC. And again, we get the same thing because he says, he shall be born of Mary. Uh, I mean, he's giving the name of the of the mother, which is something we never. Whenever you see a name in in the fulfillment of a scripture, you can always look at that and say, "This is clearly written after that yeah. happened," because it, it makes no sense to claim a name before because everyone would name their their child Mary so that they're the <laughs> the mother, and everyone would be looking for this Mary to to give a son if it was if it was before that time. So. Uh, again, is, there then,
0: any, um, is which of the Gospels can you tell? Do these scriptures take more from? Are they more John? Are they more Matthew? Are they more? You know, which ones? Um, I, I mean, birth narratives. So it'd have to be. Yeah, Luke and I, I, I think you know, Joseph, or is, it a, is it an amalgam? Maybe.
1: I think Joseph Smith. It was kind of an amalgam by that time because he he thought, as all Christians did at that time, that you know, the virgin birth of Mary. And so he retold it. If it was any of these, I would say that it's it's more Luke because he's not saying he's doing this, that it might be fulfilled. He's kind of telling it more as uh, he's going to be the son of God. So I would say it probably follows that more. But I think by this point, it's kind of, it's kind of amalgam that anyone would think of in this time frame would, would be my best guess at that.
0: Wow, that's so interesting.
1: So, so we've just talked about, you know, what uh, what proofs there are of a virgin birth. And as we see, they're very limited. they are scriptural writings that are not even, you know, primary sources happen at the same time. So if we want to look for evidence of a virgin birth, what might we look for? And there's a lot of things in the scriptures that we can look for as evidences, but most of these become inconsistencies. And so uh, I want to go over the inconsistencies that, lead to questioning whether this was a virgin birth, whether this was a miraculous birth, or was it more a regular birth that maybe got the story grew over time.
0: Inflated a little bit. An
1: inflated story, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So the first place to look is genealogies. Uh, Both Matthew and Luke, in their birth narratives, they both give Jesus's genealogy, and they They one of them goes back to Adam, but if you look at at how they break them up, uh Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those all kind of follow and and they follow down to a certain point down to David. And of course, Jesus had to be uh, the offspring of David, so they have to show his genealogy back to David. But once you get to David, the names start changing. They're both giving the genealogy, and yet the names of the fathers and and the sons. Are different between the two uh, authors that are writing this. And so, to me, that's concerning. Uh, The way that most apologists say is, oh, one of these is the paternal line, and one of these is the maternal line. So, this is Mary's uh, back to David, and this is Joseph's line back to David. The problem with that is, if you look at the scriptures, they both say uh, that, you know, the last name that they come to is Joseph, who is the father of Jesus. So why if why would they say that Joseph was the son of Mary's father? That makes no sense. Um, so to me, these are different genealogies, which doesn't give a lot of credence to the fact that they knew his genealogy, And why would you follow Joseph's line if Joseph wasn't his father? You would only. I was just
0: going to say that it's it's God. It has nothing to do with Joseph whatsoever.
1: Yeah, none of the DNA or chromosomes or anything followed any of these people uh, through Joseph's line, only through Mary's line. If if God, in fact, was uh, was his father. Uh, So to me, the genealogies is one of the uh, one of the issues that brings into question whether these stories are accurate or true. Uh, The next one is uh, the the timeline. Uh, There's just a lot of problems with the birth timeline that we run into. Um, All of us read the the Luke chapter two, that's probably the most famous birth story, uh, where we read about, you know, there was a decree by Augustus Caesar that all the world would be taxed. And it it gives us some clues that might tell us when Jesus was born, uh, because they give us some clues that we can kind of follow. We know that there was a census or a tax, a taxation happening that was decreed by Augustus Caesar. Uh, we know they tell us that uh, Quirinus was the governor of Syria. We know that Herod was the king uh, because uh, we read about you know the all he has to run away from Herod and that the wise men come to Herod. So we can take those things and we can try to put a timeline in. Now traditionally we say Jesus was born in the year zero, and that was figured out by uh, we know they, they say that he started his ministry at a certain time, and that it was in the 15th year since Tiberius had been, uh, the this became Caesar, and we know exactly when Augustus died, so we could add up the time, subtract, and we know zero should have been when he was born. Well, the problem with that is, first off, um, when Augustus issued his decree, Judea was not a Roman province. Uh, Herod being the king Herod was a client kingdom of Rome. He was not a province of Rome. Therefore, there would have been no governor, Roman governor over it. He ruled Judea. And therefore, any decree from Caesar Augustus uh, for taxation and a census would not have applied to Judea at the time, because that was a client kingdom ruled by Herod. He just had to pay, he had to gather his own taxes and pay it to the Romans as a you know tribute to them. Uh, But he was still the king and it was still their province. So that's problematic. It's clear that whoever was writing this story was writing it after probably when it was already a Roman province and didn't know the time frames of when these things happened. Um, the second thing is Quirinus was the governor of Syria. That happened for, we know when he was the governor it was from 6 to 12 AD. So that's you know, six to 12 years later than what we would suspect if we use the zero, Uh, year zero as his birth date. The problem is Herod was alive, and we know that Herod died in 4 BC. So if Herod died in 4 BC and Jesus was born when Herod was king, we also know that the wise men had time to get there, visit with Herod. They went and saw the child, and then the child had to escape into Egypt. So if that happened, we're backing this up to 5 or 6 B.C. is when Jesus was actually born, if it was in fact when Herod was king. So we've got this huge date difference between queerness and Herod, you know, 10 to 12 years difference. So the timeline is not, is not adding up. Also, there's no record of the Romans requiring the people to return to their ancestral home. This would have been ludicrous. It would be the equivalent of the government saying, oh, to fill out your tax forms, you have to go to your ancestral home. Everybody in the US, stop what you're doing, stop your job, go back to your ancestral home, fill out your tax forms, and then come back to work. The entire economy would shut down. And if you didn't have planes and cars, you're talking days or months for people to to make this. So I think this
0: is one of those details where you just don't think about it. You don't think about the logistics and how absolutely ridiculous it is, because it's just the story that you've always been raised on and you just take it at face value. But if you really dissect these issues, you're like, of course, that makes no sense to have the entire area crisscrossing and returning back and forth. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and that's that you know that's where your critical thinking has to start coming into place because we are taught these things and they just come naturally so you don't question them. Uh but once you start studying history and you start learning the changes uh the, or the the history you start questioning that. This was one of the things that kind of led me to start questioning was I found out Herod was born in 4 BC and that it, the timeline just didn't match. Um and so I started digging into it deeper. Um the, the other thing is that even had had to, he had to travel to to do the uh, census the registration was always done by the head of the family so the male head would have had to do the registration there would have been no need to take mary who is nine months pregnant on a donkey all the way across you know any any thinking uh husband would leave her at home uh if if he even had to do this which there's no record that he had to and then the last one is uh the massacre of the innocents uh you know where Herod uh the wise men didn't come back and tell him that uh that uh, that they'd found the the infant and he so he said oh I'm going to kill all male's two years or less. This would have been a horrific deed if he had done this. This would have been recorded. He would have been the most hated ruler in history and Herod was known to be very very violent, very evil. Uh, even the Caesars would say, I'd rather be his, uh, Herod's pig than his child because he treated his family so bad. But to do this, to to completely massacre an entire nation, all the, all the male heirs, one, it would have been counterproductive to him because when these kids become the age that you would need conscripts for your army, all of a sudden, you have a two-year period where you have no males to conscript into your army. Uh, and the second is, uh, you know, what parents wouldn't revolt against something like this when they're chi- when they're gonna kill all the child? And this certainly would have been recorded by Josephus, it would have been recorded by the Romans that he did such a horrible thing, and it certainly would have been recorded by the uh by the people in Judea at the time. And there's just no record of it.
0: And there's so, so and other atrocities of Herod. Were recorded. Were it sounds recorded. like because yeah. he was known as the most hated man.
1: <laughs> yes, and we know yeah. that. So yeah, this sure.
0: would have been this would have been the the cherry on top. This her- heinous, horrific act, and it, everyone would have been talking about it, it. Certainly
1: would have been included in his list of horrible things yeah. that he did as the king. Yep. but
0: exactly. no record, nothing yep, at all. No
1: record at all of that. So again, the timeline is an issue that makes the whole birth story questionable. Uh, The next one is the star in the heavens. We all sing about it. You know, all the Christmas songs are the stars in the heaven. Um, But it brings up a couple questions. We know that the wise men in the East saw the star. These were the Magi. They were probably in Persia area, as the story goes. And they saw this star and they traveled all the way to find the child. So this star had to have been there for months for them to travel that distance. Uh, Now, if I were to tell you, Hey, I'm 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 right here under Sagittarius. Come over to my house. Would you be able to find me by following Sagittarius? The, yeah, the I don't think so. That's
0: a thousand, thousand, thousand mile radius. That's that yes, exactly. Under Sagittarius. Under
1: Sagittarius. Uh, how do you follow a star to a specific dwelling? That brings in into you know some questions, and the fact that the wise men saw this star and were able to follow it they were looking for this sign. So, they had this knowledge that there was a prophecy that this star would come and and represent uh, a child was going to be born. So, somehow they had this knowledge. If we look at the LDS scriptures, remember Samuel the the Lamanite uh, predicted that a star would appear within five years, and they all were looking for this star. And then when the night of of his birth happened, this star appeared and they were all stunned and looked at the star and said, why didn't we believe? So this star was universal. It was seen in the new world. It was seen in the old world. The only problem is it wasn't seen by Herod and his court astrologers. They're right there in the middle of this, and they don't seem to know anything about this star when the wise men get there. So this star is so noticeable that everybody in the world sees it, except for Herod in his court. And they even have to ask, "What? what? Yeah, you know, what? when you find the child, come back and tell us, he says to the wise men. Evidently, he couldn't look at the star and follow it to, to Jesus, but the wise men could. So again, another questionable- uh,
0: yeah, That doesn't make any sense because Herod's court astronomers would be the most highly trained astronomers, scientists of the day if they were in the court.
1: Especially looking for a Messiah that is specific to the Jewish people. They would know more about this than anybody, and yet they seem to know nothing about it. So uh, again, a questionable thing that brings up some uh, some questions on the birth. Uh, the next one is that Jesus's family seems to be unaware of this divine birth. Obviously, we all know the story. The angel Gabriel comes to, to Mary and says, you know, you're going to be you're going to have a child, and she's, uh, you know, how is this possible? Uh, and then Joseph is going to put her away privily, but Gabriel shows up to her and says, oh, it's of the Lord. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, th- this is God's child. So this family had a very spiritual experience. Then they give she gives birth. These wise men come and give them these gifts of gold and silver and myrrh. I mean, these are valuable gifts they would have, this would have greatly enhanced the 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 prosperity of the family uh, of the holy family at this time and then they run off into egypt uh, and come back after herod kills all the all the male children because they were you know given a dream that they should flee into egypt so this is a this is a story that goes down in family lore you know people rehash these stories and certainly Mary would have told these stories to her other children, uh, and certainly she would have known them. But in the scriptures, there's basically two places where we hear about Jesus's family. One is uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 48 to 51, where he gets left at the temple. We all know he was 12 years old, and they leave, and they come back looking for him. And uh, verse 49, he said, and, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business?" And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So Mary seems to not understand when he says, I'm about my father's business. She doesn't say, oh, yes, you're the special child that the angel and my virgin birth gave. She's like, "Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, and, And she says nothing about it. The other case is in John chapter 7 verse 5 where Jesus has just started his ministry and uh, he's teaching and the people say oh this man's crazy he's mad he's gone mad this is the son of Mary and they call his mother and his mother comes with her brother with her sons his brothers and they say this man is mad and they're, they they all say and in, in John chapter 7 verse 5 it says for neither did his brethren believe in him So his brothers don't seem to know that he's this golden child. You know, he should have been like Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with everybody going, oh, this is the golden child. And nobody seems to know anything about it. Uh, So I
0: have a theory. I have a theory, and that's some kind of a veil of secrecy that, you know, the events happen, and then there's some kind of a veil.
1: I guess you could make the argument that the mother wanted to keep that special hood, you know, but the fact that the mom seems you know that mary seems to be confused by this a little bit uh helps to to kind of make it say how did this birth story happen and this other story happened that the, the two should have kind of complemented each other and we just don't see that happening in the scriptures the next one is the fact that uh virgin birth you know we all think of that as a miracle but in the ancient world this was not that uncommon uh anyone who was anybody in the ancient world, seems like was born to a virgin. Um, And in order to give you cred, in order to be credible, it's almost like you had to be born of a virgin or you weren't credible in the ancient world. Uh, So if we look back at Egypt, uh, Ra, the sun god, the the main god of of Egypt, uh, was born to a virgin mother, Net. Um, Horus uh, was the son of a virgin, Isis. And when we tell these stories, It's kind of funny because Isis was actually married to Osiris. Um, So she's married to Osiris, so was she really a virgin? Uh, Osiris is killed by his brother, um, and he's cut up into little pieces and spread throughout Egypt. Uh, He takes his penis and he throws it into the uh, Nile River, and it's eaten by a catfish. And so Isis goes and gathers up all the pieces of Osiris. She searches all of Egypt and puts him back together, except for... His penis, so she has to create a phallus that she attaches to Osiris, and then we get we get Isis out of that. And of course, these these stories are told many different ways, depending on who you hear them from. But nonetheless, if we're going to look at the Virgin Birth of Mary, we have to we have to put the same level of of evidence on that birth as we do on this birth. Uh, if you want to say, I have faith that it was Mary that had this, then that's faith, but that's not evidence. If we want to look at the evidence, we have to say, okay, if that happened, could this one have happened? Or do we not believe any of them? Um, and so when we keep going down the list, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is the, the world of Jesus was really a Greco Roman world. It was highly influenced by the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, So the the Greek and Roman stories are probably the ones that would have played most into their worldview. And Dionysus was the son of a virgin, either the story goes, it was either Semele or Persephone. Jason was the son of a virgin Persephone, which makes Persephone interesting because she actually seemed to have given birth to two children as a virgin. but it wasn't just it wasn't just gods. It was it was also humans that would be born to virgins. Plato was uh, the son of a virgin, Perito, Peritone uh, in, in tradition. Tradition say that he was born to a virgin. So these virgin stories kind of happen in two ways. It's either a god comes down and has sex with a woman, and she gives birth to a human who has these. He's a demigod. He has these human and godlike traits. Or um, we have a god having sex with a goddess and then they give birth to a child who either becomes human or becomes a hero in a story. Um, and so there's there's kind of two ways these happen. and obviously Mary falls under the one that, you know, a god has sex with a woman. Uh, in almost every story, it's a male heir that is born whenever they have this. There is a few instances. Uh, Helen of Troy uh, supposedly was born this way, but there are few instances where there's a female, but almost always it's a god having sex with a woman and having a male heir uh, that comes out.
0: And, and oh, most we- people would give absolutely no credibility to any of these stories at all. Exactly. And I wonder, some of these may even have um, primary sources in the telling of the story more than, um, you know, the Jesus story. So it's interesting that you would just dismiss this as that could never have happened. And some of the stories are so similar, like born of a virgin, you know, taught, performed miracles, died, resurrected. I mean, some of these stories are just parallel in so many different ways, but most people have either never heard of them or would not give them any credence or credibility like they do with the stories that their faith helps them believe of Jesus.
1: I, I think that's probably fair to say in modern day that we don't give any credence to these. Yeah, In ancient world, the people really believed yeah, these things. Of course. These were their gods. They believed yeah. as much that this happened. A Greek believed as much this happened as a, a Latter-day Saint believes that Jesus was born of a virgin. So yeah. these stories were very popular. In fact, Rome, the most famous story is probably Romulus and Remus who were twins who were born to the virgin uh, Rhea Silvia. Rhea Silvia was the daughter of a king. Uh the king died and his brother became the king and he didn't want he, he figured if Rhea Silvia had children that that would be a threat to his throne. So in order to make sure she didn't have children, he uh, assigned her to be a, a vestal virgin which in those times that they they held the state, this the 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 well-being of the state was based on these Vestal virgins, remaining virgins, um, and they had other functions, priesthood functions that they prov- that they provided. But Rhea Silvia was made one of these uh, virgins. Well, she she became pregnant, and this was not a a good thing. If you were a Vestal virgin and you were no longer a virgin, the penalty was they would bury you alive. Uh, so very high penalty for this type of thing. Um, and so it didn't happen very often, and you would be made a Vestal Virgin about the time you were 13, 14, just when you were old enough to start uh, having children, Uh, and you had to be a Virgin for 30 years um, before, and then then you could be released from the Vestal Virgin uh, requirement, so, um, but she became pregnant, had Romulus and Remus, um, and then those two uh, were, were twins, and Romulus. They started building Rome, and they got in a fight, and Romulus killed Remus, and therefore Rome was named after Romulus, and Romulus became the great leader of, of Rome. But again, a virgin story. Uh, several virgin stories have twins being born uh, as part of it.
0: Well, um, and Jesus supposedly was a twin too with um, Thomas Didymus, right? So yeah, some,
1: some some people think that Thomas Didymus that means twin. Uh, right. And they refer to him. There's some scriptures that make a reference that he may have, that Jesus may have had a twin, which in LDS is, you know, yeah. philosophy is completely out. There's no full way of to,
0: problems but, with yeah, that yeah, one. All,
1: full of all kinds problems. of problems. So uh, we we kind of dismiss that. But there is some 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 people who say that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most interesting one is is a a, a Frigo Roman god named Attis. Uh, he was also born of a virgin, Nana, and he was born on December 25th. And interesting enough, uh, he, uh, after he castrated himself, he killed himself <laughs> and was resurrected. Uh, so this is a story that was known a, among the Romans. Uh, that he, he was actually uh, the god of uh, vegetables. Uh, so <laughs> the, the, the theory nice. was that that the spring he was born in the spring and then in the fall he died and he's harvested and then he's resurrected again the next spring when the harvest comes back and the uh,
0: cycle the cycle of harvest the cycle of life okay i see that
1: And there's a picture of him in the upper right hand corner he kind of looks uh like a uh
0: carrot uh, he looks like he's wearing a carrot hat
1: yeah yeah or or like the uh, statue of liberty it kind of looks like the statue of liberty there yep Uh, but so these were very popular stories. So again, that adds some credence to, is this virgin birth different or how is this virgin uh, birth different than all the other virgin births that we read about? So the next one, uh, inconsistency, is uh, you know, that Jesus was, was crucified and he became a God or that he was the son of God. Um, deification, just like virgin births, is nothing new uh, in the ancient world. Most of these gods who would have sex with a woman and produce an offspring, that that offspring became a demigod and part god. Uh, and so, this was not uncommon. In fact, at the time that Jesus was born, uh, deification in the Greco-Roman world was very commonplace. Alexander the Great had been deified to the point that he was a god. Julius Caesar uh, had been deified, and know the most recent one at the time of christ was augustus caesar had been deified just 15 years before or something you know in that time frame and so it was very noted that popular humans would be deified uh, especially emperors and their wives could be so a, a human that was that became like the gods they weren't exactly like gods but they were humans who got to dwell with the gods uh, a male would be called a diva, and a female would be called a diva, and uh, they they <laughs> a reach this diva, to a
0: diva
1: <laughs> just like well, you. and it
0: makes sense because um, your list here, leaders, right? I mean, of course, it keeps order in society if your leader is unreproachable. He's actually a god, and- or like in the case of LDS theology, he speaks to God. I mean, you want to have that connection there to keep people in order and.
1: Exactly, and it gave a reverence and a place to him, and so it's not surprising that a a cult that believed in Jesus, that was following Jesus, and they start having this, you know, that he was resurrected, and that he was not, that he was more than just a human, that he was the son of God, that you would then create a story that would deify him, because he's now on the level with the emperors and and the the, the leaders of the ancient world. And again, it gives credibility to what he had been teaching or what he'd been taught as people say, oh, he's a God, so I, I need to believe what was what was taught by him.
0: Right, and that makes sense when you, when you think, I can picture, you know, Christians talking to their neighbor, you know, who's just a Roman, and he's like, oh no, our God. You know, it's almost like a one-up <laughs> of exactly. what our God can do. Our God did this. What did your God do? You know, it's definitely a way to promote your world point of view and your religion and the person that you're following.
1: And and it makes sense in the Roman world that Christ would be deified the way that the Romans deify somebody. And so some of the requirements for deification in Rome is the human had to have died and ascended to heaven. Uh, Obviously Jesus met those requirements. The other requirements is it required omens uh, specifically in the heavens. Uh, So a lot of times uh, it, it, would be related to the birth or the death of that person. So they'd look for omens. Did anything special happen when that person was born? Did anything special happen when that person died? So Julius Caesar, just not long after he died, uh, I believe it was Halley's Comet appeared in the sky. And everyone said, oh, there goes Julius Caesar off to heaven. (laughs)
0: Ascending.
1: (laughs) Ascending to heaven. And there's the omen, you know, that shows it. And so they'd look for these omens. So that seems a little suspicious when all of a sudden you get a birth narrative that stars and wise men were following, and then it is death, that there was earthquakes and the sun disappeared and all of that. You start seeing these omens, and none of these omens are recorded anywhere except for in the Gospels. They're not recorded in any of the historical documents from the time. And the
0: Gospels were all written decades and decades later, filling in.
1: But it's important to remember that there were primary sources from that time, uh, from the Roman period and others, that don't record any of this information. They're they're, they're not written in there. So, so
0: their absence is very their telling. Absence the fact that you would telling. think some of these would be there, and they're not.
1: Exactly. Um, the other one is uh, the changing Christology. Now, this may be a term that a lot of people don't know what changing Christology is. But Christology is basically the level of divineness of the person. So a low Christology is very human attributes. A high Christology has very high godlike qualities. And it's interesting to note that as we look at the Gospels and uh, uh, the, the four Gospels, the Gospels weren't written—the uh, earliest Scripture was written about 50 A.D., which is by Paul. But the Gospels were written— uh, Mark was, is the oldest gospel, and it was written about 65 to 70 A.D. Matthew and Luke followed, and they were written 71 to 89 A.D., and John was written somewhere between 90 and 100 A.D. This is important because as we start reading these different accounts, we can actually see Jesus going from a man to a god we actually see him rising. So in Mark, as we said, Mark has no birth narrative. Uh, It also has no resurrection narrative. Now, if you say, oh, wait, I can find a resurrection narrative in Mark. That's true. In the King James Version, there is a resurrection narrative. However, it's not in the earliest copies that we have of Mark. It's missing. Uh, The story basically goes up to when the women run away from the tomb after seeing the angel, and then it ends. And so it's believed that Someone said it's got to have a resurrection story and went back and wrote the the last part in because it's not in the oldest text of Mark that we have. And so Mark has another thing to it. It's called the Mark and Mystery. And that is that in Mark, when you start reading it, it's like nobody knows who Jesus is. He's a mystery. Everyone says, who is this man and where did he come from that creates such miracles? How's he related to God? Is he the Messiah? And so it's kind of a mystery. It's like only the reader knows that it's Jesus. Everybody else in the story doesn't know who he is. And so he's very human, and he comes from a very different place. The other thing is in Mark, when does Jesus become the Son of God, or when, does, when do we make the relationship to God? With there being no birth narrative, Mark tells us that Jesus didn't become the Son of God until his baptism— When he was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, you know, the dove came. uh, You hear the voice out of heaven. This is, you know, my beloved son. That is where Mark basically says Jesus became the son of God. He was adopted by God. He was born a human. He was adopted by God and then became the son of God.
0: And and I think that most people reading Mark would fill in the blanks themselves. Like it probably would not be very obvious that you know, no narratives and not divine because you fill that in, you know, that's who Jesus is. And so you read it Mm -hmm. with those eyes. So most people can't critically step back and go, this is very interesting. Um, Low divinity, as you say there in your heading.
1: And that's really an important part of reading the new Testament is you have to read each of the gospels individually because the differences are very telling. And when you read them separately as a separate book written separately by somebody else, you start finding all kinds of, of, of things. Uh, for instance, in Mark, when Jesus goes and he's um, uh, at, at his trial before he's crucified, they're asking all the questions. But in Mark, he stays quiet. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't answer. Very different person than what happens in John, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So the next, the next books that were written were Matthew and Luke. Now, Matthew and Luke, all of a sudden we have a birth narrative. And so what we find in Matthew and and Luke, when does Jesus become the son of God? Well, in Matthew and Luke, it's important that their story that they're trying to tell is Jesus was the son of God from his birth. He was literally the son of God. God gave him uh, the body that he's in, and he's literally the son of God. In Mark and Luke, we get more higher levels of Christology where Jesus is more open as to who he is and you know the, the miracles get greater and less human. like John is a completely different scenario. John we get, you know when did Jesus become God in John? In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God and the same was in the beginning with God. So we're told that Jesus was always God. He was always with God this is it wasn't his birth, it wasn't his baptism. He was always God. And then when we follow John through to uh, the end when when he's in his trial and when he's giving the uh, answers, he's very, oh, I'm the I'm the one that was sent to save you and he's answering all their questions and he's giving all the answers to them. Very different than if you read Mark where he doesn't say anything and and the other one he's talking and both of those narratives can't be right. He couldn't have been silent and be telling all of these things.
0: Well, now think about, say, the different versions in LDS theology of the first vision. Very different. Yet everyone seems to accept all of them and feel that they all support each other, where someone else reading it with a more critical eye say that's, that's not at all what's happening. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that. You want it to fit. You want it to work. And so that's how you read it.
1: Well, and I think it's one of the little tricks of both uh, the LDS church and Christianity as a whole, is they want to combine those stories, and so that all the details from all the stories you get to mix up and make one story uh, that includes all of them, so they all make sense, uh, but we know they weren't written that way, and so you have to take each one individually and and take it for what the author is trying to tell you. And remember, these books were not written by—Matthew wasn't written by Matthew— Uh, Mark could have been written by Mark. Uh, Luke could have been written by Luke. John, probably no way it was written by John. Uh, All it is, is it's the gospel according to Matthew. Again, this goes back to cred. Nobody in the ancient world gave any credence to anything somebody wrote unless they were somebody popular. So they would take the name of an apostle as if this is who said this so that it had credibility to to other people. Right. And, and was, there's
0: no way that most people understand that today. They just think exactly. You can take it what
1: for what, what say? he says, as opposed to, you know, having to listen to. But but it is somewhat because we certainly give much more credence to what Russell M. Nelson says as LDS people than what the bishop says.
0: Exactly. There's a hierarchy. What would you say is the motivation for taking him from low divinity to five to high divinity over the hundred years, is it just to promote Christianity? Is it my God's better than your God? Is it stability of a new religion? What
1: I, I what think they had, I think they had to raise him to the level of the gods that were in all the you know the, mm-hmm. it, it was a missionary church. They went out to the to the pagans' world and they had all these gods that had all these stories that were born of divine birth and and so in order to the story to have credence. They had to be able to say, well, yeah, Jesus had that too, you know, but He taught this, so you need need to listen to Him, and then they can convert because He had the same level as their pagan gods. Right. Uh, so I really think it was to so that they could have a level playing field with the other gods that's that right. they check be-
0: out. Our God, that's right, check and I think there's God. also a one-upmanship on other prophets of the Old Testament. You know, oh, you fed fifty people with five loaves? Well, Jesus fed. You know, there's just kind of He's just beyond compare.
1: And also in the Jewish world, you've got, you know, the, the, the God of, uh, of the Old Testament. And so they have to make him equal to that God, or why would a Jew convert um, if, if their God was higher? So, and that was, in war, that would happen all the time. We'd conquer you, therefore our God was more powerful than your God, therefore you need to worship our God because he's more powerful. So you had to make sure your God was as powerful or more powerful than their God. Uh, and so I think it was really just a competition is that's that's my opinion <laughs> I don't know but it makes sense to me uh so this come brings up the question was Mary a virgin well what does it mean to be a virgin first off uh we all know that a virgin you know is w- when we talk about it in the in the scriptures it's almost always a female and we're talking about that a woman who hasn't had sex with a man, her hymen has not been broken, and the only way to really know if someone's a virgin would be a medical examination. You know, there, there's no other way to know that. Um, so the question is, is, you know, was Mary a virgin, uh, and was the birth of Jesus a virgin birth? Well, let's look at what the LDS people tell us. If you were to go to an LDS, LDS apologists today, they would say, we have no doctrine on how Mary got pregnant. We 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 don't know how that happened. Uh, we take no stand. The reality is every Mormon knows that growing up that they were taught that God had sex with Mary and that's how the child was conceived. Brigham Young said that. Uh, uh, many of the, many of the prophets, I think Joseph F. Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, and, uh, gospel, uh, uh, doctrines, uh, have said that, uh, in fact, uh, RFM and Bill Rill, I think, did, a did something recently that went, uh, over those, uh, so Back that's in July. That was, yeah,
0: it was really uh, well yeah. done. Yeah. yeah,
1: that was well done, so that's a place that you might listen to, that's, uh, to that podcast, and we can put that in the notes uh, sure. about you know whether God had that. But this is right out of Mormon doctrine. This is the book that I had to take on my mission. That was the dictionary that you looked up answers to, and you know it's not called you know Mormon principles or anything like that. It's called Mormon doctrine. This was the approved book by the leaders in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties that people went to, and this is what Bruce R. McConkie wrote. He said Christ is the only begotten Son. The only begotten of the Father. These name titles all signify that our Lord is the only Son of the Father in the flesh. Each of the words is to be understood literally. Only means only, begotten means begotten, and son means son. And in the ancient world, begotten means that the male actually had sexual intercourse with the woman. That's what the word begotten means. Um, He says Christ was begotten by an immortal Father. In the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. Now, I don't think we need to have a class on the birds and the bees to understand how that happens, how mortal fathers father uh, mortal children. He's saying God did it the same way. Well, if that's the case, if God actually came down and and had uh, sexual intercourse with Mary, by definition, Mary is no longer a virgin. So Mary was a virgin maybe before this happened, but she was not a virgin at the time of the birth because this happened in LDS philosophy. So yeah, and
0: I don't I don't think that a lot of LDS people realize what a horrifying concept that is to everyone else in Christianity. Like they do not believe that a, a physical act took place. They believe a bird fluttered down or a light came down, meaning that she still is a virgin. She was just come upon, you know, but the concept, in fact, we listened to a Bart Ehrman uh, lecture, and he just seemed completely oblivious that there was, you know, this (laughs) small sect of people out there that literally believed a physical God with a physical body had physical sex with Mary. So that is not a concept that is out there in all of Christianity. And it's actually kind of horrifying to most Christians, I think.
1: Yeah. And the reason it's horrifying is uh, because they believe in the Trinity. They believe. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are the same individual. So if God actually came and had sex with Mary and then had a son, Jesus, who is also God, then the same person, Jesus, who's the son of Mary, actually is the same person who impregnated Mary. It doesn't get more incestuous than that.
0: No as a relationship. Very convoluted.
1: <laughs> so that that that's horrifying to people who have a Trinitarian view of the Godhead, not to mention uh, you know, the fact that uh they they try to make god they don't believe that god had human body he's he's not right. uh in the shape of a human he only took that form to become jesus so that act doesn't make sense from a god who isn't really in that form uh to people so
0: right and i think most people don't think it through i know i was a primary teacher for years and years and i would teach um that age range about 9 or 10 8 9 10 and every christmas lesson where we would talk about this, there was always two or three kids that just they had not realized that that's what their church was telling them. You know, they thought Joseph was the father, you know, and I I remember saying several times, just go home and ask your parents, you know, that I'd feel bad. Oh, no, they're going to come home with all these questions. But it is almost don't ask, don't tell about that whole scenario, because it's fraught with so many difficulties in trying to explain it.
1: It, it makes parents answer questions about uh, sex and birth. If, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's the same as if they came and ask you, where do babies come from? Yep. It's like, how did Jesus come from that? Yep. You know, so I, I, I agree. Most people ah, don't worry about it. He was the son of God. And that's yeah, all, that's you, all you
0: need to know. No yep. details. Yep.
1: So, so interesting enough, when we look at, at virgin uh, birth, there's several different forms that virgin births or virgin virginity might take. The first one is virginal conception. Virginal conception is the is that you are a virgin at the time that you conceive. In other words, the first time you have sex, you get impregnated. That's virginal conception. You were a virgin and now you're um
0: pregnant. And that isn't yeah. rare. That's not rare.
1: Not, not rare. Yeah. It's, it's a honeymoon baby, all. is basically what what it is. Yep. And this is what this is what the Mormon belief is it, is that if God actually had sex with Mary, then it would have been a virginal conception because she no longer would have been a virgin after that happened. Um, virgin birth is quite different. Virgin birth would be that you were that you were a virgin at the time you gave birth to the baby. Now, we hear a lot about virgin births because a lot of mothers that especially young teen mothers, that uh get pregnant all of a sudden that's found out and it's like i didn't have sex with anybody i don't know how don't this know happened how this yeah. happened yeah now in some cases they may have been drinking and didn't know yeah. they may have been laced with drugs and taken advantage of and basically raped but in many of these cases what studies have shown is in, in a lot of these cases they were girls who took a uh uh that they they took a chastity vow and so it's very, for their family, it's very hurtful. So they try to say, I don't know how this happened. I, I never had that happen. Uh, so that's not unrare. Uh, a virgin birth is rare in the ancient world because a lot of those stories with the gods were very sexually enticing. You know, the God comes down. It's a beautiful woman. He has sex with her. He spends all night with her. And then she produces this offspring, you know. Um, so... God's story is a little bit different, and that's where Mary's virgin birth is a little bit different. Because if you are a Christian that believes that it wasn't physical intercourse, that somehow light shone upon her and she became impregnated, then her birth would have been a virgin birth. That Jesus would have been a virgin birth, uh, but in the LDS doctrine, uh, he would not be, she would not be, even though Bruce R. McConkey later says. Uh, that anyone who says that it isn't a virgin birth is an apostate, And a, but, yeah. but he, he's the one who described that what happened would no longer make her a, a, a virgin.
0: Right, by so, his own definition, it's simply virginal conception. After that moment, she's no longer a virgin. She's had physical sex with a physical man, and so she is by definition, and probably a medical exam could show she's no longer a virgin.
1: And it, it's important to note that none of the Bible scriptures state that Jesus was a virgin birth.
0: Um, All the
1: time it talks about Mary is before she conceives, it refers to as a virgin, but then she has the baby. Uh, So they say, God's going to come upon you, or the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, and you will bear a child. Uh, So they never say that that's already happened, and you're with child, and now you're going to have it, and nothing's happened. So... It doesn't say a virgin birth, it just says she was a virgin prior to this uh, event happening. Um, the other one is a perpetual virginity, which we think nuns and priests, this happens all the time where people take a vow of virginity and and never have uh, sex, uh, so that's another form of virginity. Uh, the last one we think of is immaculate conception. A lot of people have a, have the wrong idea of this. I think to most Mormons, if you ask them what's the immaculate conception, they'll say, oh that's where Jesus, uh, where where Mary became pregnant with Jesus. And in reality, that's not the case. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It actually had to do with the birth of Mary. Uh, This is a Catholic doctrine, and the the doctrine is basically that uh, Jesus was born of Mary. Mary's a human. All human were born from original sin. Therefore, if he was born of Mary, he would have been born with original sin, and he would have had a sinful nature. So in order to get around that, they have a story that, you know, um, Mary's parents, there was no God involved or anything like that. They conceived Mary, but immaculately they conceived her and she was born without sin. So mm-hmm. she was the one person born without sin who could be the mother to Jesus, who could then give birth to him without him being having the stain of original sin. And so, so Ma-
0: Mary's mother, whose name was Anna, am Anna, I right I
1: think, I think I it think was so, Anna. Yeah,
0: so she was spotless through a miracle therefore giving birth to mary mary was also spotless and then was able to have jesus who also completely innocent and not stained by original sin that's fair i don't think a lot of people do realize that
1: yeah and it's really just a way to 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 answer how come jesus didn't wasn't born with original sin how how could he atone if he falls under original sin right he would need to be saved just like everyone else. So this answers that question, you know, that there's no original sin.
0: People are very creative, aren't they?
1: <laughs> they, they are. So uh, one uh, last little tidbit here. I, I've got Mary in the BYU Honor Code. This is something you sent me uh, that, was, that was really interesting. Uh, this is Mary as shown by Christian uh, artists, and then you know, there's a very
0: famous, a very famous painting, The Holy Night, 1655, Carlo Murata. Very famous painting. A lot of people have seen this. It's a beautiful yep. painting until it's used <laughs> for the Light the World campaign.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You want to point out the differences? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, what it says to me is that the LDS church is hell bent on keeping Mary virginal, right? I mean, the first picture, she's a new mother. She's a nursing mother. She's wearing a top that not immodest. I don't feel at all. It's very loose. And, you know, she's probably just about to, to nurse her baby. She also has angels peeking in, you know, being supportive of Mary and the whole birth story. And then when you go to and I don't they must have gotten permission to do this. But you can see the neckline has been raised about six or seven inches up there. And of course, all of the angels are gone and she's just uh, just alone and even more light on her face. You know the, the holy globe. I just found that very funny because to me, the original painting is just beautiful. And it really says motherhood to me. The second uh, doctored picture says some kind of an ideal that is not attainable and
1: not real. And the reason we put this in is because it kind of goes back to everything else. You just make some small changes to something to tell the narrative that you want. that Mary was a chaste woman per our standards. We had to raise the neckline. We don't believe that angels are you know little kids with wings. so sure. we have to remove that from the story. So we change we change narratives to make it fit what we believe. So the question is, did that happen with the virgin birth? Was it a story that was changed to fit the narrative? Was it a story that was created to build a story that made Jesus who he was? And that's really, you know, what it all boils down to. So the last question is, does a virgin birth really matter? And I guess it does matter in the fact that uh, if this is a miraculous birth from God, then Jesus— is a divine being, Jesus could be a Savior and bring salvation to us. But for those who might believe, I believe that Jesus was born, uh, and and a, a narrative that would be very simple, to, to that doesn't require miracles, doesn't require a lot of faith, is Jesus was born to Mary in Nazareth as a real person. He grew up, he became a follower of John the Baptist. It was a John the Baptist was killed and Joe, and Jesus became kind of the spokesman for that group, inherited his followers. It was a zealot group that was against the Roman occupancy. They were for uh, you know, uh, self-rule of, of Judea, which was very popular for many different people in that time frame. He maybe his followers began to see him as divine, that he was the Messiah. They started following him. They expected that he was going to free them. Uh, He went to Jerusalem, maybe a little bit too overconfident. Uh, He gets there, he tears the temple apart, and that upsets the hierarchy, the Jewish hierarchy. Uh, The people say, oh, he's going to be the king. He's the new Messiah. That's now treasonous to the Romans. And so he's got to be put to death. They put him to death. His followers go. What happened? He was supposed to be the Messiah. Now he's it's dead. very
0: problematic at that this point. This <laughs> is problematic
1: to the movement, and so they all of a sudden have to start making up uh, some uh, stories of his divinity, just like Julius Caesar or Augustus Caesar. We have to make him divine, and then these stories just grow, and eventually we get the scriptures, we get the stories, we get the narratives that we all know today. So to me then, does the virgin birth really matter? And I look at it and I can say, I believe Christ was a man, but I believe that his teachings changed the world. And whether you want to say they were his teachings or, you know, evolved over time, doesn't really matter. The fact is these teachings of love one another, feed the poor, take care of the widow, care for the sick and affirmed, forgive others who have wronged you, don't be a hypocrite, don't judge others, these all caught on. And this is the Christian values that we can celebrate at Christmas. We can say, I believe this. I think that this is the way I should live. And therefore, I can celebrate with all the Christian world uh, that Jesus Christ was born, and I can look at these stories and say, well, that's a to me, that's a myth story, but I'm celebrating that the world has taken these views or many in the world has taken this philosophy and it's made the world a better place. And I want to celebrate that at Christmas. So I think we don't have to look at this as a destructive thing that, you know, it wipes out this Christmas story because we can still celebrate these values that we can still hold To be true.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And we covered this in an episode a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about faith traditions and celebrating these holidays when you've maybe moved past your own religious tradition. And I think we arrived at the idea that, yeah, it's totally fine. You don't have to throw away your major scene. You can celebrate what it was, the ideals, like the ideals you have listed there. You can celebrate humanity moving forward and trying to do the best that they can. So it is a positive thing. Very positive.
1: Yes, ab- absolutely. And, and that's what we're hoping to bring is uh, this positivity of that, that we don't have to reject everything we've learned. And we're, a lot of us wanna say we're still the same person. Mm-hmm. We've just our views may have shifted. And so there are ways to look at this critically and still celebrate it.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I think this was absolutely perfect. Thank you, Lana, for putting so much work into this because I think I learned a lot of things I did not know, and especially to have it so organized in that way. And I think we'll include some links and things to maybe a few other podcasts and a few other sources if anybody wants to delve a little deeper because there's a lot there. This was just scratching the surface and and hopefully um, it accomplished uh, maybe just getting you interested in, in even just a few of these concepts. And because there's so much to look at, which is which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating either way. I, I love studying it and learning about it. So it, it's just fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, make sure that you all take this information back to your family Christmas party. No. <laughs> Be careful with this information. It's, uh you know, uh, sort of to some people, it's nothing that they've ever thought about and might not be ready to think about.
1: That's true. So. It, can, it can be inflammatory and argumentative, yeah. but, uh, you know, maybe you do what Mary did and keep keep it, hold it close to your heart. <laughs> hold it
0: close to your heart. That's exactly right. All right. Well, that, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I really learned so much. It was amazing, I thought. So um, I hope that you all have a wonderful holiday. We're closing in on Christmas uh, very quickly. So I hope everybody's got their presents and their trees up and and everything's going well. and Uh, Thank you once again for Mormonish. Thank you.
1: Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.